Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Buck Sanders and Jason Staples. You're listening to the Day After podcast on Inside Carolina, sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. Jason, I'll start with you here since you got into the room first. Carolina loses at Wake Forest 24 to 18 in a game that uh, did not get close until the end. Your overall thoughts on what you saw Friday night out of Winston? Well, I mean, first of all, if I'd known Jason Strobridge wasn't going to play in this game, I wouldn't have picked North Carolina to win it. I mean, we all thought it was going to be a close game. And uh, we talked about how the, the primary thing that, that they needed was that uh, North Carolina would, would need to be able to win up front against that funky uh option game that they have that funky rpo game that they have and well you know they especially early were able to 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 win up front especially uh on the on the interior where where they were able to you know grind out four five six yard gains early on exactly where strobridge would have been so i think i think that was a factor uh, a big factor in this game is is their ability to run the football against against Carolina using that 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 scheme that they have, uh, and uh, and and it goes to show something that we talked about earlier this year at the very beginning of the season that you know if Crawford and Strobridge aren't on the field that that defensive line is not the same and and the defense is going to have some trouble when those guys aren't playing a bunch of reps. Uh, but, you know, last week that Miami game was a physical game. They came out pretty banged up. And I think that cost him kind of across the board. I mean, you saw this, you saw some sluggishness, I think, on, on offense as well. Uh, and, you know, what they do defensively, they, they do so much stunting and jumping in, in and out of gaps and that sort of thing. And we talked about that as well. It wasn't so much their defensive line, from what I could tell, that gave Carolina the trouble. Uh, it's it's that their linebackers were so active and so quick into into gaps that they were they were able to run through. Uh, let's say when Carolina would pull a guard, you had the backer from the other side following the guard through and making the tackle in the backfield. And that's something where, you know, when your backers are triggering that quickly, it's it's showing that you don't really respect the quarterback. Uh, that's part of it, and uh, and also you know offensive line that's a that's a tough thing for them to do but you, you often have to make an adjustment to get that guy in the gap somehow uh and they they really didn't do that until until the second half that's a, a hard thing to do but um you know they made some adjustments Howell finally got settled down a little bit uh and played well in the fourth quarter he he missed some he he did not look good in the first half and and honestly I would have gone to Howell or I would have gone to Reuter earlier uh because Howell just he looked bum fuzzled a little bit by that uh by the secondary and by what they were doing in terms of of some zone looks and was hesitant to pull the trigger when guys guys were open downfield and um and you know that's that's where I would have gone to to Reuter a little bit earlier I mean hindsight's 2020 just because of the the runability initially and then you can put Howell back in like they did and and again I think once he got through halftime and got a chance to to settle down a little bit uh, and especially once it was clear like that he had nothing to lose, you could see once he started cutting it loose, he hit guys downfield. But he just wasn't cutting it loose earlier. I think he was he was trying to avoid mistakes. And uh, and you know with Wake, you're not going to have guys running wide open 
this, the way that you're the way that maybe you, you, he's seen the first couple of weeks uh, and what he's used to in high school. I mean, a guy open looks different in college generally than it does in high school. And you have to be willing to pull that trigger and, and make the throw. And if you're going to miss, you just have to miss where it's not going to not going to kill you. And I, I think he's still learning. Wake took advantage of that, uh, especially early in the game. And and there you, there you have it. I mean, it uh, it's the sort of loss that is going to be expected from this team some this year. And, uh, and, you know, just so happened that, that Wake uh, managed to be that team early on. And that's, that's a good Wake Forest team. I know that that's hard for a lot of people to hear, but that is, that is, uh, that's going to be one of the probably three or four better teams in the ACC. Uh, and, and they're going to, they're going to give a lot of teams, a lot of problems all year. I, I agree with you. I was really surprised about how active Wake Forest was on defense and it gave Carolina's offensive line fits, especially early buck reading over your column. I mean, yeah, I, I kind of take the approach of this game was you want to win in-state rivalries. You want to win all the games against uh, teams that are as close to you as possible, but probably not. If there's an insignificant game on the schedule, I think this was one of the ones towards the top of that list. But your thoughts on what you saw, I mean, Carolina White going undefeated, and the first two games of the season were great, but you know, how do you feel about Carolina rolling into Winston-Salem and just looking like they did, especially in the first half? I mean, that that is a little bit concerning, isn't it? Yeah, and before we get started with that, kudos to Tommy Ashley. He has picked the first three games accurately when we did our preseason prediction podcast. Preseason. I, I got suckered into picking Wake Forest on yeah. the pregame show, but yeah, yeah. I, I would yeah. not have without Strowbridge. But anyway. Yeah, well, kudos, Tommy. You got the first in the preseason before we knew anything about anything, really. Uh, you got those first three games right. I hope you're wrong about the next one. But yeah, uh, going back to your original question, uh, the, the team that that got off the bus for the Wake Forest game and and take took the field, they just did not look the same as the team that we saw against South Carolina and against Miami. Uh, there was a flatness about them, uh, a lack of energy. Uh, they seemed uh, just a little out of sorts. And as uh, you know, Doc talked about uh, the passing game, what was surprising to me was North Carolina was just totally unable to run the ball. I mean, in the entire first half, they essentially got nothing. And I mentioned in my column that the, the first time they got a good run, Javante Williams, you know, he went for 17 yards, but he fumbled the ball and he fumbled it on the 20. Wake scores two plays later, and all of a sudden they have hit North Carolina in the mouth. And, you know, as uh, Tyson uh, says, you know, everybody's got a plan till you get hit in the mouth. But in any event, uh, there's. Uh, their inability to run the ball, I thought, you know, contributed mightily to their inability to throw it. I mean, there was no real reason uh, to get overly concerned about uh, committing a lot of guys uh, to the run because North Carolina didn't really run the ball that well. And after Javante Williams fumbled the ball, he got very few carries, and which is typical of coaching staffs 
once a guy fumbles a ball, they're not going to go back to that guy a lot during the game. And I thought that they lost a little confidence in Javante, and I think Javante may have lost a little confidence in himself. And I, you know, I said in my column that he had uh, eight more runs after that. I think that's wrong. I'm sure he had some runs uh, before uh, that fumble. So he may have only gotten four or five carries after that uh, first quarter fumble. I think that changed the complexion of the game. Uh, that gave Wake momentum. Uh, before that fumble, uh, North Carolina and Wake had just exchanged punts. Neither team was really on fire offensively. But once they got that turnover, that really energized them. I believe that got them believing that, you know, hey, we could take these guys. And I think that set the table for what we saw the rest of the first quarter and much of the second quarter. So um, I would kind of emphasize the importance of that fumble a little bit uh, and how I would assess this game. But obviously, Sam Howell was uh, dazed and confused by what Wake was doing with his linebackers. Uh, but it certainly didn't help. He could not get anything on the ground. And, you know, some people have talked about Nick Polino being out of the game. That certainly could have been a factor. Mac Brown mentioned that. Uh, and you could see it, you know, that the ball was coming out low a lot uh, from uh, Brian Anderson. And, how was having to first look down, locate the ball before he could start thinking about what he was going to do. And I think that's an underrated uh, part of the passing game. If, if you've got to constantly be worried about, you know, where the center is going to locate the ball in your hands, that's necessarily going to cut down on the amount of time you have to look at the secondary. So that could have played a factor. Um, although later on in the fourth quarter, Maybe Brian Anderson just started getting better at it or, uh, you know, got more acclimated to it or what have you. But the thing is, the other piece of my article that's stunning to me is that uh, about the game uh, is that even though they had all of this heartbreak and uh, ineffectiveness and just could not get anything going offensively uh, in the fourth quarter, all of a sudden, they start to believe, and it's not fake. They believe, and and uh, Doc Staples talked about this the other day, that uh, for a team that has uh, a belief of it in itself in the fourth quarter, um, if, if they're down by 14 points, they're like, okay, we're down 14 points. Now, 21 is a stretch, but I think it might have been 17. Well, 17 or 21 at that point. But, uh, you know, they, they certainly show that – they actually believe. I mean, it's not a joke to them. They believe that in the fourth quarter, they're going to be the better team. And I think that bodes well. They've played three games, all of them one-score games. I think there's a few more of those in their future. And if the game's a little bit closer, I'm going to feel a little bit more confident about UNC in the fourth quarter than I'm going to feel about the other team. Jason, I certainly think when you're down 21 to nothing at halftime, my mindset turns, if I'm a coach, you turn to let's try to get something positive and then build on it, but at least go out of a game, whether you end up winning or losing it, having the positive. And I think Buck's right on the fourth quarter. Carolina built some positives there at the end, showed some fight, um, when quite frankly they were dead in the water in the first half. 
But I want to go back to the first half, specifically the beginning of the game. We talked about Carolina was going – we thought Carolina would run the ball a ton, and Buck referenced that. But, you know, I don't have the play-by-play in front of me. But it felt like Carolina came out of the gate throwing the ball a lot more than anybody expected. I don't know if they were trying to catch Wake off guard, but why do you think that the power run game that we talked about never materialized? I mean, I saw smaller but quicker Wake Forest defenders all up in the backfield, especially early. I mean, did they did they adjust the game plan that early, or do you think that the game plan out of the gate was just let's try to hit Wake on the edges, let's try to throw the ball around early and then go back to the running game. I, I couldn't really figure out what the, they were trying to accomplish in the first half. Yeah, the biggest thing was that, to me, was that Wake really had no respect for, for Howell early. Uh, they, I think, looked at what Carolina had done the last couple weeks and said they're not going to have him pushing the ball down the field or take any risks with him, especially over the middle, so we're just going to trigger downhill with our backers and safeties and we're going we're gonna to cause problems in the run game, and we're going to force him to, to, to do some stuff. Uh, and North Carolina, they, they called some of those power plays. They called, uh, you know, power O. They called some, some uh, uh, inside zone. They called the same stuff that they'd been calling. But when you're getting linebackers that, ha- that are triggering downhill so that they're basically at the line of scrimmage when Howell's receiving the football, and they're already getting through by the time the back's touching it, well, then you're going to need to throw it to start keeping them honest. And, uh, and, and North Carolina wasn't able to throw downfield. They weren't able to, to throw to set up the run early. And this was a game where Wake basically forced them, you're, if you're going to run it, you're going to have to throw it first. And, uh, and, and the stuff that you did see on the edge, those are RPOs. Those are run calls, but Wake, Wake gave them a look up front that said you can't run it here this down and distance we're going to have you outnumbered at the point of attack where you want it and that's going to be uh that's going to be um a uh it's going to force you to throw the the perimeter ball and they did a great job tackling and getting those guys on the ground on those bubbles on those uh on those little rpo flips and things like that that you're going to get to the edge and, you know, you expect Daz Newsom to win some of those instead of getting uh, tackled for, say, a one- or two-yard gain. And when you're not getting gains on those, when they're, when they're winning the one-on-ones there, and, again, they were really aggressive coming downhill there, then – and that's because, again, they, they're expecting it to be a run or RPO. They're so aggressive there, you've got to be able to hit them, hit, hit them in that intermediate area because uh, what they're doing is they're playing super aggressive with with everybody in that intermediate area, and then they're taking every, and then they're letting the other guys go. You know, make sure that nothing hits them over the top. Well, then that means you've got to start hitting some of that some of that stuff in the intermediates. And Howell never looked real comfortable when they did call some of that stuff. Uh, I think uh, they they were just a little off balance, and uh, it took it took a while before they adjusted. And it wasn't so much scheme adjustments. It's just players adjusting to, okay, he's going to be there. Here's how this is going to work. Until they adjusted to be able to get to, to hit some of that mostly in the second half. And and again, if you look at what happened when they started moving the ball late, when they moved it in the fourth quarter, it was hitting a lot of those intermediate balls and Howell just finally cutting it loose. And there are a few balls that, you know, he fit some balls into some windows, a few throws where, 
at that point, it's like, oh, well, you know, you had that early on. You've got to be willing to pull that trigger and make that throw in the first or second quarter. And again, that's just part of the development that you're going to get from a young quarterback. I mean, that's that that is that's that's to be expected. And and this was a good uh, a good growing experience for him. And and it's something that I think over time is gonna is gonna have its payoffs. But you know, it's not real not real fun to to have it end in a loss. Let me uh, talk about our sponsor, JohnnyTShirt.com. Before I switch up, coming back to Buck, Johnny T-shirt of course on Franklin Street. Great opportunity, uh, the Appalachian game. It's on at 3.30, get to Franklin Street early. Of course, you got to get back to the Bowles lot by 12.30 if you want to hang out with the Inside Carolina Countdown to Kickoff show with Buck and me and everybody else with Inside Carolina and some Johnny T-shirt swag out there as well. Great opportunity to win a jersey, win football, all that good stuff. JohnnyT-shirt.com, of course, place to get – Anything you need, Carolina-related, Carolina football, basketball, every sport you can imagine, it's all Carolina. Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street, johnnytshirt.com, and of course, Inside Carolina subscribers get 10% off your order, either in-store or online. Great place, Johnny T-shirt and johnnytshirt.com. But let's talk about something, you know, we can talk about the offense and how they finally adjusted, and we'll get to the defense later because I think that's something we really need to look at. But one thing that I think is a fair topic of discussion is late game management by the staff. It's been uh, quite interesting, (laughs) to say say the least. And the previous staff and a lot of other staffs get hammered for how – um, late games are managed and you know South Carolina game we saw what happened there Miami game um, it worked out but then you have the end of this game you've got I believe a minute nine seconds left you're at the your own 25 you know it's tough to tell a quarterback not to catch a ball that bounces right back in his face but I was really shocked and we can talk about the officials I think that's a loser mentality I know people are gonna get mad at that um, I don't think you can bang on the officials given how the game went the entire uh, 60 minutes. But but talk to me about how you feel and, and what you see with the way this staff is managing those late game situations. Because like we said, this team's going to have a lot of one-score games the rest of the season. They've gotten three so far. There's going to be at least that many, if not the rest of the games, save maybe Mercer and Clemson. But it, that is concerning for me. Not the way the players came out against Wake Forest. That happens. Not the way um, Sam Howell didn't look good. Not the way the offensive line couldn't block. But the, the late game management is a bit of a red flag for me. And I wanted to get your opinion on that. Well, first of all, when you talk about a full 60 minutes, you really mean the full 59 minutes and 59 oh, seconds. Lord, Lord. <laughs> You're one of them. <laughs> <laughs> we have a truther or whatever we're going to call him believer on, on our hands yeah believer what I, I, there was a second left on the clock when his foot went out of bounds I'm just his saying. foot going out of bounds had nothing to do with it he was called down before his foot touched out of bounds that's the thing yeah, okay. if that you want to argue that it was stops one on of the first worst yeah, the, if you want to argue about it stopping on a first down that's fine but the, that that crew that ESPN crew well, let's talk about those guys. Just horrible. <laughs> it's so frustrating to listen to a crew call a game <laughs> when you know that that I mean I I could have done five times better than those color guys, 
I and guarantee I know you another... this trio here would have been a hundred times better than those guys. Right. And I know that I know about 15, 20 other people in the industry that would have done better, including all three of us. And I'm going, man, how is it that those guys are getting paid by ESPN to do this? And they, you know, and they're talking about North Carolina being down 17 to three against Miami at the half. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I mean, really? Like I said, when you get a punter talking about football, and it's no offense to punters. I mean, punters. Uh, are Hasselbeck cool wasn't even better. <laughs> it's like they just rolled up and said oh we're gonna do this let's go get it boys yeah. well right, i feel but... like i feel like i've effectively changed the subject so I... <laughs> you're not gonna change it but no, it's we'll, we'll get we'll get there but but as far as the the call they didn't notice or maybe they don't know how it works but when carter was being held up by the weight players who were trying to keep him in bounds which is what they should do yeah, great um, play by them. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was a bad play by Carter, and he he owned it after the game. He thought it was the last play of the game and didn't realize that he had more time on the clock. And, you know, that's that's just not being prepared. But, uh, you know, it's a it's a, a hurry situation. But the, but the official, when he is signaling, he's signaling the wind clock signal when Carter's being tackled, which means he's calling him down inbounds. He was he called forward progress because he's getting pushed backwards before he ever stepped out of bounds. Well, that means that the ball's down there and the clock does not stop and doesn't it doesn't uh, it doesn't stop fully. It you know it's a stop for the resetting of the chains. Now, if you want to argue that they have one second left to you know before the chains get reset and they spot the ball and all of that, you've got that that case. The thing is the chains are automatically starting and that the chains didn't have very far to go. They're going to, they're going to race up to, to reset those chains as they're tossing the ball in the ball is going to be spotted and the offense is going to be over the ball with the second left. And the odds of getting a snap off are astronomically small there. And you can't, you can't spike it with under three seconds. So, I mean, I doubt that they get a, that they get a playoff, but you know, you can make the case that they should have at least spotted the ball and uh and and given the the clock a chance to run out that and and they should have that that was a mistake by the officiating crew but i don't think they would have gotten a playoff either way but and you okay, can back, back, back uh, hold on let, let me get i'm gonna i'm gonna cut you off again let me my point is <laughs> should you should i just leave and let no, you and jason <laughs> finish this out no i want to hear from you I love yeah, you asked me a question and i, I, I haven't I, even been able to get close to it i know i actually asked you a question this time and then i cut you off when i asked my point when I tweeted out what I tweeted out is you, you can't play like that for 59 minutes and 59 seconds and then complain <laughs> that the officials cost you a chance to win the game. That was my point. But uh, if you remember my question, feel I free do. to answer I that. do. I do. Um, but uh, telling a, uh, you know, somebody that follows a football team, that they are unable to complain about something is just you're wasting your breath. I mean, <laughs> c- come on, man. Yeah. Uh, but it, back to your original question. Uh, yeah. Um, I, I think there's probably, you know, reason to wonder about, you know, what's going on in end of game situations. Um, here's, I think what co- could be a piece of it. And why it would be a piece of it, I'm not really sure. But um, it is a new staff. 
first time they've ever worked together. And they have to communicate in those late game situations. And if communication gets to be a problem in those late game situations, then that could be part of the issue, the newness of the staff, uh, the limited time they've spent together uh, in these situations. Um, so, you know, I think that can be part of the problem. I don't know if it is, but I, that's, I'm just speculating like everybody else. I think they could do a better job. Obviously, uh, nobody is uh, going to tell uh, the coaches that they made a mistake because Sam Howell decided to catch the ball when it got batted back in his face. That's not a coaching issue. Uh, that's a true freshman quarterback issue. Um, and, and they should have been really clear with Carter that, uh, you, you need to get out of bounds. You know, that's number one, uh, that's job. Number one is to get out of bounds. So anyway, I mean, there's, uh, I think a lot goes into those light, late game situations. And, you know, if, if you, uh, somebody's calling a timeout or somebody is, you know, directing how the last uh, minute is going to go, the last few seconds is going to go. Somebody has to have a play ready to go the next time they get back under center. And I'm sure they practice these late game situations, but practicing late game situations is not the same as being in a game in a late game situation where, a win or a loss is hanging in the balance. That's a lot of pressure. So, uh, yeah, it's something to watch moving forward. If people want to be critical about it, I don't have a problem with that. Um, but at the same time, I, I think that it's not something that has haunted Mac Brown his entire career. And I've, I've said this before, you know, having done the research on it, that in games school, uh, that were decided by, four points or less Mac Brown has a career winning percentage of 0.722, which means he probably doesn't suck in late game situations. So I'll leave it there and, and let you, you know, go where, whether you will with it. Hey, are you telling me I can't complain about a football game? Because no, not at all. That? You can <laughs> complain to your heart's content. Jason, your thoughts on it. I mean, what I got from, especially from the post game, is Hal and Carter both how really owned the entire game. And I and I mentioned on social media that's ownership, and it takes ownership, not making excuses, but ownership to build the program back. You know, it's never good, like you said earlier, to have to talk about a loss or deal with a loss. But I think they dealt with it certainly as as well as any Carolina athletes I've seen for for quite a good while, especially on the football side of things. Yeah, I I agree with that. I mean, I think uh, the even the way that guys handled the the situation after the game, by and large, showed exactly that. Uh, you know, that willingness to say, "Well, yeah, well, you know, we got to." we got to be better in this case. You know, I, I, I made this mistake or we did. That's the sort of thing you got to have. And, and again, I think the way that they responded in the fourth quarter speaks very highly of what, of the direction of the program. It would be very easy for a team that's down 18 points 
to say, well, you know, that's, that's that, you know, but they, they fought and very nearly won the game. And, you know, they've just look at what are the, what, what's the, the scoring differential in the fourth quarter this year. It's something like 39 to 39 to six or something like that. Yeah, uh, something that's incredible. That, that is, that, that speaks of uh, not just taking ownership of your, of, of the situation, but of, some conditioning and also confidence down the stretch that, that that you believe you can you can do what you what you uh you can finish games out and that you've trained for this you know you hear that sort of thing and you could see this team in the fourth quarter they still believe they were going to win the game i think they were all surprised that that they didn't and that's exactly what you want you want to be surprised if you lose and um uh, and you know i think this again, I think this is going to be a really good learning experience. This is going to be good film for them moving forward, uh, for Howell, for uh, for Brown and Longo to have a good sense of what they've got offensively and and how they can scheme for certain things going forward. Uh, I, I think this was good film, and and again, it's a game where they didn't get blown out, even though it looked like early on they might get blown off that field. They were able to make some adjustments, uh, and and again, most of the adjustments in this game were not scheme were not scheme adjustments. It was a matter of players getting getting a couple things corrected, and like you said, taking ownership in certain cases uh, and doing their job, and then that that start that that stabilized things again and gave them a chance to win. So, uh, you know, I think there's a lot positive there, but but I do think that for this year there there are definitely some concerns something we haven't talked about yet is all the injuries that are already adding up this is a team that's not deep enough to be able to handle some of those injuries uh and not pay for it and and i think i still think that if jason strobridge plays in this game they probably win the game uh but you know that's the that's the margin that they're playing with right now ownership or not Indeed. Let's take a short break, um, come back, talk about the defense, talk about Strowbridge's absence. And also later in the podcast, I'll give you the code to enter inside Carolina, specifically Buck Sanders ticket giveaway, the chance to win two tickets to sit next to Buck Sanders and somewhere in the vicinity of me at the Carolina Appalachian State. That should be really good, especially the folks that uh, want to hang out and talk football face-to-face in Keenan Stadium while the Tar Heels play App State. We'll give that code later in the show. I'm going to take a short break, come back. I got a question for you, Buck, on the other side. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, You transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits 
turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, you're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by johnnytshirt.com, the day after podcast with Tommy Ashley, Jason Staples, and Buck Sanders. Buck, before the break, Jason mentioned the injuries, and specifically on defense, uh, Strobridge being out, um, guys going down, Patricia Renee, who I think his, I mean, he's on Sage Surratt, or is he? he's at least on one of the two big guys Friday night in Winston. But for me, watching this defense that was getting picked apart early, and everybody's talking about, what are they doing with this mesh? If you listen to the Inside Carolina podcast, specifically Thursday night, we discussed Wake Forest funky offense and the way they hold the ball, hold the ball, hold the ball, and then make a decision. That being said, Buck, especially in the second half, Jay Bateman's staff and then the players sort of figured it out and held them. I thought that was the biggest positive coming out of Winston-Salem is is how the defense adjusted with so many guys getting hurt. Uh, Your take on Bateman, does that, Injuries are going to take a toll eventually, but for them to be able to do what they did in the second half, I thought that was big for this program going forward. Well, I I would agree with that, Tommy. And I would say that initially in the first half, I think they felt Jason Strobridge's absence more then than they did later on. Uh, As they're going through the game, I think they adjusted to his absence And, you know, it would have been wonderful to have him in. But the thing that I think Jason is uh, alluding to is that uh, when you have those sorts of injuries begin to mount up, um, you know, before when you had Jason Strobridge in there, then you had, you know, Zach Gill or uh, Jaheel Taylor or Zach Gill in uh, Strobridge's case. He could come in and give you 16 or 17, 18, maybe really good snaps at, or you know, an approximation of what a really tired Jason Strobridge could do. So, but without him, without Strobridge, that kid has got to give you 70, and I don't know how many Wake ran, I'm guessing in the 80s, um, plays. And and the guy behind him that has to come in and spell him is is not as good, obviously, as the guy that's spelling Jason Strobridge, and that guy's not as good as Jason Strobridge. So it's a downhill effect. It's like a snowball coming downhill. That is, it's not about that first speck of snow, snow that starts down that hill. It's about that great big ball that crashes into you at the bottom of the hill. So as these things mount up and maybe they'll get some of these things back. You mentioned Patrice, you said specifically uh, defensive players, but on offense, nobody's really talking about Carl Tucker being gone and, and Carl Tucker not playing is a big deal because he's almost uh, in some ways, Sam Howell's personal protector on the edge. Um, 
and in a lot of cases, you know, he's a very big part of their pass protection and he's very good at it. Anton green being gone since the first game, um, Nick Polino being gone, uh, Jordan Tucker getting hurt in the first half. I mean, that's 40% of your offensive line from the start of the season that Jason was bragging on sitting on the sideline. And, and so it's not just been injuries on the defensive side of the ball, although obviously having Renee would have been a great benefit because you'd have somebody to cover, help cover Sage Rott. And whoever was covering Scotty Washington did a great job. It must've been Greg Ross. Because uh, Trey Morrison was on uh, Sage Surratt for most of the night. Uh, Washington only caught two balls. Uh, he, he didn't hurt UNC at all. Uh, they went to, to Sage and picked on Trey Morrison more than they did Greg Ross, which you kind of got to take that as a good sign. Uh, so, you know, the these things add up. And, you know, I – for those people that say, well, you're talking about injuries, that's for losers. Listen, we talk about injuries, whether UNC wins or loses. If North Carolina wins a game and they lose Sam Howe, do you think we're going to be quiet about that? I mean, uh, it's not about making excuses. It's just evaluating uh, how injuries are impacting the game. And if you don't talk about that, then you're you're missing a huge hunk of what goes into analyzing what's happening on the field. I agree with that. Injuries are fair game. I think referee stuff is junk. But anyway, Jason, let's talk about the defense. Did they change? Were there schematic changes that you saw from early to late? Or did they just, the players themselves, figure it out? I mean, how did you see those adjustments being made and where they came from? I, I didn't see, and I haven't gone through with a fine-tooth comb yet, but I, I didn't I didn't notice any real scheme changes. I, I thought they basically ran the same stuff. They just executed it better, uh, particularly up front and particularly with the linebackers starting to figure out what was going on in, in terms of, wake's funky scheme and that's the thing about what they do is a lot of times it you know you 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 play them in early in the game they'll get you a few times because well you know it doesn't look like anything else that you you play against like I said in in the preview it's kind of like playing against Paul Johnson's offense because nobody else does it that way uh and you know I thought they they started to make the adjustment on the field in terms of reacting more quickly uh to to who had the ball and, and making sure that they were in their proper gaps. I thought they did a better job tackling, but I, I didn't really notice any, any adjustment schematically on defense. And, you know, I might've missed something really subtle, but I really don't, I really, really didn't see much there. And, uh, uh, and again, it's just, it reinforces that a lot of times on defense, it's about, it's just about doing your job and getting guys on the ground. And they didn't do as good a job of that after the fumble and they, they sort of lost their momentum. I, and I, I should, point that out that early on the first couple drives yeah they moved the ball a little bit but they didn't score and it wasn't until the fumble and then a couple quick plays after that that quick change that sudden change that wake was able to suddenly get some some momentum together and run off three touchdowns but you you take those three drives immediately after the fumble off and north carolina pitched a shutout uh they're pretty close to i mean they had the uh they had the couple field goals but 
you know, they didn't get in the end zone again. And a lot of that, again, goes to the mentality of the defense and just being prepared for sudden change, being prepared for a couple of the, the wrinkles that, that uh, Wake threw at him once they got off balance a little bit. Uh, and again, that little uh, stutter go off of the uh, bubble action that they, that they got Wolfolk on, that's the sort of thing that when the defense starts to press just a little bit, when you start to try to, to guess a little bit and that sort of thing, then they hit, they hit you over the top. And that's not a scheme thing. You know, if, he, if they did that nine times, they may not get him on nine of them, but they, they called it at the right time when, when they were starting to press a little bit in the secondary. And it was one of those where from the box, you're, the, you're, you're looking at the safeties and you're going, hey, they're, they're, starting to wa- they're starting to look in the backfield. Now might be the time for it. And that's what happened. So I don't think it's a situation where there was a whole lot to do schematically. I mean, I think by and large, what they, what they did, they had a good plan. It's just, you have to execute it. You have to get guys in the ground. Yeah. I think Mike Brown in the pregame interview said, just do your job. Carolina did it later, did not do it early, but Carolina goes, uh, has a eight days. So a little bit longer than normal to get ready for Appalachian state. With the Wake Forest game and how it shook out, does that make the App State game any more important, um, in your opinion, for this North Carolina team, or is it just another non-conference game, albeit one against a team in state? I'm I'm not sure it makes it dramatically more important, but uh, for most football teams, the sooner you can get the taste of defeat out of your mouth, uh, the better off you're going to be. So I think that might be a little bit added incentive there that uh, to to kind of put this Wake Forest loss behind them more thoroughly, a win would definitely uh, benefit them there. Outside of that, you uh, got Clemson coming to town after Appalachian State. And if you lose to Appalachian State, then you're looking at uh, what was a 2-0 and start is now a 2-3 and record. And are probably much better off uh, in terms of looking forward to a bowl season if you can be three and two after that Clemson game. So, yeah, I think it's a little bit more important, but I I don't think that's going to be their focus this week. I think their focus this week is going to be to try to clean up some of the stuff that they saw um, against Wake Forest and to also – get prepared for what Appalachian state brings to the game and to figure out what to do about their injury situation and hopefully uh, get some of those guys back. Strobridge was actually dressed and they thought he might play. So I'm not thinking that's a, uh, you know, a going to be a long-term situation. Getting him back would be critical. Um, Now the other guys, Jordan Tucker, he left the game, didn't come back. That's not ever a good sign, so we'll have to wait and see there. Azudu, I, I didn't think he played that poorly um, in relief. He had, I think, maybe a false start or something uh, later on in the game, but I didn't think he played that poorly. Obviously, Tucker's playing for a reason, so uh, it'd be nice maybe to get him back, but we'll see what happens there. I, I, I really don't think the, you know, the fans will talk about it. You and I and Jason may talk about it, but in terms of increased importance, but I don't think that's going to be a focus for the, for the team for this coming week. Jason, to wrap the show, you're the coaching staff. Um, you've got a, a team and a group of 
players that have been through the ringer the last couple of years that had a great start to the season. Um, even with the two wins, though, there were some issues in those two wins, but they managed to do it. They couldn't get it done against Wake Forest. And now you've got another one coming up against the in-state team who I don't think is going to be a ton different than Wake as far as what they're going to bring to the table. So what do you tell these guys? It's been a rough couple years. They've had some success the first couple weeks, and now they've suffered their first loss of the season. How do you handle them? This week, going into, like I said, the Appalachian State game, that's uh, not not important conference-wise, but certainly important in-state-wise. Yeah, and you know, if I'm the coaching staff this week, the thing that I'm really pushing is I'm, I'm going to spend some extra time in the film room, and, and I want to highlight the plays where somebody did did something that could have changed the outcome of the game like look right here ball you know it, this is why we do ball ball uh ball security drills this we can't put the ball on the ground here right here this block that was missed this is your responsibility if you get this block look at how this guy's open up field and howell's able to get get the ball downfield sam when you see the safety taken off to the to the right side and we've got a post coming from the left side, push the ball down the field, take the shot, give your guy a chance. You know, you give yourself, give yourself chance and emphasize the, the, the places where look, we're really close. This is where, you know, things are. So it, it's those, it's the, the little, I'm wanting them to see where, we, where we are. This is this we're, we're super close. There's, you know, if we'd done these, if you'd done this one thing better than this guy had done this one thing better, and this guy had done this thing, one thing better, then we win the game. And then you three over here, if you'd done this one thing better, we win the game. And so it's all about focusing on the little details and the how, how close the margins are and emphasizing the difference between winning football and close but no cigar football that I'm doing as a coaching staff. And, and that's where, you know, you never want to lose games, but this is the kind of loss where as a coaching staff, you can build from it. There's a lot of things that you can work on in situations and practice to say, okay, this is what happened. Here's what we do when it happens the next time, when we're, when we'll be ready for it. So, so yeah, if, if I'm the coaching staff, I'm just emphasizing that stuff and working forward from that and using this as a learning opportunity and trying to build the guys up in terms of confidence to explain that, look, we were still right there. It's just a matter of making those couple plays early in the game and there's no issues. And you continue to build that confidence. You continue to reinforce the fact that these guys believe that they should win games, that they can win games, and that when the fourth quarter comes, they're going to have a burst that other teams don't. Sounds like a good plan there, Jason. I, I totally agree. Buck, it's always a pleasure talking to you on these podcasts. Jason Staples as well. This has been the Inside Carolina Podcast, sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. Of course, head to Johnny T-Shirt, get all your gear like we talked about over and over and over it is a great place to get gear it is a great place to see some carolina alumni or carolina alums doing their best to outfit you for all your carolina needs and i haven't forgotten i'm gonna do our ic ticket giveaway contest code right now it's always the first year 
that two teams met. For this year, it's Carolina and Appalachian State. The first year that Carolina Appalachian State entered the code on the message board, Michelle Hillison, certainly our wonderful Inside Carolina tech expert, has set that thread up so you can enter this code. The code is 1940. The first year the Mountaineers and the Tar Heels played on the football field. Enter that for a chance to get those two tickets to see Buck Sanders and Tommy Ashley live in person in Keenan Stadium and also see probably a pretty good football game coming at 3.30 on Keenan Stadium. Many thanks, guys. We'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.